now that the sheep are gone. If you haven't seen Plandemic... I think this was all planned by the Democratic Party. Do you believe the numbers and the news that's being reported by the mainstream news media? You've been brainwashed. You cannot escape God, not even with the mask or six feet. He's blowing the lid off the COVID scandal. The, the scandemic. There's not enough to make this a pandemic. This is a planned-demic. YouTube, Facebook, I mean, all these different companies do not like what you're saying. And this if any of you are money. in the deep state, you're going down with it. In the 17th century, the author Jonathan Swift wrote, Falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. This past year, in 2020, it was apparent falsehood flies as fast as ever in our own supposedly scientific times. A survey by the Pew Research Center found that a quarter of the U.S. adults believe that there was at least some truth to a conspiracy theory that the coronavirus pandemic was intentionally started. Others allege that the outbreak isn't as bad as reported and that the number of deaths that have been reported aren't actually those who have died of coronavirus. Official narratives and figures are constantly questioned. The confusion that seems infectious has real and serious consequences. For this week's episode, my guest is Thomas Bowman. He is a partner with Resolute Strategy, a full-service strategic consulting firm in Richmond, Virginia, who has been studying COVID-19 and the conspiracies since March of 2020. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. So yeah, um, I work for, or I'm a partner at a strategic consulting firm in Richmond uh, that got assigned to study coronavirus for a client as soon as it started, really. Our background is actually more political and public relations, but we are also just really good at making sure that people are armed with the correct information. And one thing we identified very early on, and then the CDC later on in April confirmed it, was we're actually experiencing two pandemics right now. Um, Of course, coronavirus and then an epidemic of misinformation. And uh, it's really important that people are armed with the correct information and know how to recognize conspiracy theories when they occur so that you're inoculated against those as well. If you have, if you've had like this background in politics and all of that, has it been difficult as far as getting into the science realm of the conspiracy theory? I would say easier. Oh, and okay. the, re- the reason it's easier is because, um, you know, if you're a medical consultant, you're looking at the science and you're not thinking about the politics, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, most of the science here is pretty basic. You know, you don't need to know how, um, how viruses actually work aside from like the vector of transmission. You just need to know that, okay, you've got to wear a mask, you've got to socially distance. It helps to know that it's an airborne vector, but you don't need to know like ADP, ATP, or like cellular biology to understand this stuff. But the political background helps in predicting impacts and uh, of politics on the course of the virus. And so uh, we're very proud that we really, well, proud and also sad that we were right, that we were able to predict a lot of this stuff very early on. Um, March or April is when we started ringing the alarm bells, you know, right as a lot of the country was going into lockdown. And then also um, my background, uh, uh, my college background was in foreign relations. And so I've been monitoring where these conspiracy theories are coming from. And you know, these are not allies of the United States propagating these things. And so unfortunately, there's a huge security risk to them because if people don't trust science, they don't trust the institutions, and you know, there's, there's more than one reason why they might not, it just makes it that much harder for uh, medical professionals such as yourself to get a hold or to get control of the virus because it's more than just providing the correct information, right? You then have to get people to accept it as correct. And so that actually falls squarely within the realm of public relations, of advertising, and of political science. And, you know, using the dark arts for good, as one might put it. So. Yeah, I was watching one of your videos about using cult exit counseling 
to help people who really got sucked into all of the conspiracy theories and the misinformation and the politics of it to help get them to the other side of reality, so to speak. Right. So that was interesting um, to me because I, I'm not familiar, I have never been familiar with the cult exiting strategies. Here's the audio version of the video that I just referenced. Have you lost relationships with friends or family that you used to love in the last several years? Here's how you can help them using certain strategies from cult exit counseling. First, teach them thought reform techniques. Help them recognize methods of cult programming in their own experience. Second, Ask questions that require critical thinking. Praise critical, independent thought and help them recognize that type of thinking. And finally, induce emotional connections to pre-cult life. Use objects from the past and have family members share their memories of that person's pre-cult existence. When a person leaves a cult, they're going to experience anxiety, depression, rage, guilt, fear, and paranoia. It often take them years to recover and some people never fully recover their executive functions. It's a long, hard road, but we've got to try. Okay, now let's get back to the interview. Yeah, unfortunately, when people wonder, well, how do we get ourselves out of this? Because it's more than just coronavirus conspiracy theories. You know, that's what I'm tackling because it's an easy core competency of mine. But there's all sorts of tie-ins with 5G, with QAnon, and all sorts of things that, you know, are just like crazy. Um, and how do you train people to recognize this, but also how do people who aren't sucked into this, uh, if you've got a family member or a friend um, that you've lost a relationship with, uh, how do you, or what should you expect um, in the path to getting them out? And really, you know, sure, there are, sorts, there are plenty of people who one day just, it kind of clicks for them and they walk away, but there's a lot of people where this is a long road. And this is a long road for like 70 million Americans who have been completely sucked down different rabbit holes of conspiracy theories, just broadly speaking. Why do you think that this is such an easy thing for people to believe? Because from my side of it, having a medical background for the last decade, it's not difficult for me to see how bizarre and how way out there a lot of this is. I know a lot of intelligent people who got sucked into this and that their beliefs are just not factual. Yeah. So why is it so easy to believe conspiracies? Well, one, there's an element of desire there, right? They're sexy. You, like, it's oftentimes easier to think that there's some big grand strategy um, that's either keeping you from succeeding or keeping society broadly from succeeding than it is to look in the mirror. These things are really insidious in that they have an air of hidden knowledge or perceived legitimacy. And they're often, they often spiral from an element of truth, right? So people are, misconstruing, for example, nanoparticles in the vaccine uh, with microchips, right? And one, there's a misunderstanding of nanoparticles and what nanotechnology actually is is and is capable of. Um, but it stems from, uh, there was a report, a very early strategy that people in Europe identified as ways to track the vials, the vials of, of the vaccines themselves, with microchips, not inside the vaccine, but you know, it makes complete sense. We are a computer-based society these mm -hmm. days. So of course you would track things with like either a QR code or a, a barcode or a, a microchip on the vial or container of vials itself. And ultimately these conspiracy theories got so nuts that that's not, at least to my knowledge, that's not how they're tracking them anymore. Um, and that's part of the reason why stuff's going missing is because they don't necessarily have a way through the supply chain to monitor these things. What are some of your favorite sources or resources to use to debunk a lot of these? A lot of really good research institutions like Harvard, peer-reviewed academic sources are the best ones. And you know, the next thing, there's trusted experts all over the place telling the truth on social media. So you really don't need to 
to know how JSTOR works or how to find scholarly articles. You just, you don't. The information is freely available. The next place that I like to look is, well, let me back up. There's a, there's a few questions I like to ask myself, just generally speaking. And one of them is always, how do I know what I know? Right. And so when you're consistently re-examining the things you think you know, that's when you're able to put beliefs or biases to the test, right? And so that or cultivating that culture of questioning your own intelligence um, and questioning your assumptions really helps build that in the long run. That's you know, that's personal. That's something that people just have to learn how to do for themselves. But as far as sources to find the truth, honestly, for the average person, if it's not in the New York Times or if it's not in the Washington Post, it's just not true or, a, or an equivalent source. It's just not true. If you're finding things on only available on YouTube or on a meme or in your Peloton Facebook group, it's not a reliable source. So the other piece of that information is not just knowing when you see a reliable source, but it's knowing what isn't a reliable source, right? And taking anything you see from them with a grain of salt, including, by the way, TikToks, right? TikToks are not a reliable source. Yeah, but a lot of people, though, you give great ideas and a lot of people too, they have those link trees they use and they provide Mm -hmm. the sources that they have that information they comprised into just 60 seconds, right? So you can go and look and find the you know, scientific journals that they base their TikTok off of. So I, I think right. it's wise to question everything that you hear or to even reach out and ask, why would you say that? Where did you get that from? Right. Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a great question to ask, actually. And I, I welcome it when people always ask what my sources are on things. I don't usually post them in a TikTok themselves because TikTok isn't JSTOR, right? Uh, most of what I choose to debunk are things that are very simple. And you can, like the average person can find this with a Google search. And the academic standard for when do you need to cite your sources is if it's only available in two or fewer sources, mm-hmm. uh, one or two sources. If it is more than two sources, it's considered common knowledge. And so the things that I usually tackle are common knowledge for that reason. You know, because the average person is not going to pause their TikToks and go look at the Harvard journals um, or wherever it may be. So what do you think is the most dangerous social platform that's being used to spread conspiracy theories? At the moment, it's Facebook, specifically Facebook groups. The conspiracy theories themselves, like nobody joins a conspiracy-based Facebook group for the most part. That's not where this starts. Unfortunately, a lot of the vaccine hesitancy can be traced to a lot of like the mommy blogs out there where, um, you know, with talking about natural remedies and it's usually tangentially related to medicine or not related to medicine at all. Neighborhood groups, often you'll have somebody just post a YouTube video or a meme or something like that. You only need one or two people in that group to see it, to share it, to spread it to another group where it can start multiplying from there. I mean, if I were to shut anything down, it would be Facebook groups for that reason. There is, you can get channeled into a lot of misinformation on TikTok. TikTok has actually done a really good job at, you know, controversially so of trying to take down those videos, but they don't hit everything and it's algorithm based. So they don't catch everything. Facebook's not even trying. Right. <laughs> so, right. So that's, that's the most dangerous one in my opinion for that reason. So I hear a lot from people because if you were to ever go to my Facebook account, I publicly share a lot of information, a lot of videos, hoping that something will stick. Uh, I'm from the South. And as you know, a lot of Southerners, they, they tend to really fall into this group, what I witnessed from hometowns in Alabama and South Carolina where my parents live. And even here in North Carolina, so many people just get sucked into this. And so when you present information, if they post something that a random doctor said, oh, but see, here's a physician that says yada, 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 that's not accurate. 
and you try to point out, but it's a chiropractor. Uh, they, they don't actually work in COVID. Their research is probably not, they don't see the same things that a lot of the intensivists see. They argue that we should throw all the ideas out there and let people decide for themselves what is actually the most credible and makes the most sense to them. Do you think that that's a dangerous mentality to have? Well, that is what I'm really conflicted on, right? Because the evidence suggests that's not the case. The things that go viral aren't necessarily accurate information. Things that go viral are things that catch people's attention and are engaging and shareable, right? So there is an element where you have to suspend obvious evidence um, to the contrary in order to hold that opinion. But the other side to that is these things just are, right? So it used to be that communication was done mostly one way from the top down. You had experts or like the president or like the White House or the State Department or the CDC, and everything was funneled from them to newspapers or to like um, TV news and then consumed by the public. But in the age of social media, anybody can be an armchair expert on anything. And so, you know, do I like it? No. But I would agree that that's just the way it is. And so people like me are tasked with coming up with strategies to try to survive in that brave new world. So why do you think that this is such an important task for you to contribute your time to? You have formulated this for months now, going on a year, a couple months short of a year, to putting your time, your energy, why is this so important? So I am one of those people who chooses to just lead with their chin. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, 10 years from now, when we look back and say, well, what could have we done differently? I don't want any regrets, right? So when you understand that there's a chorus of people spreading misinformation, then you need to add yourself to the chorus of people actually spreading the truth, right? And also, where is a lot of this misinformation coming from? Um, well, um, Harvard pointed out that 17% of coronavirus-specific misinformation comes from bots on Twitter, right, or other social platforms. So from one perspective, no human can compete with this. No human on their own can compete with this. But if you add to the chorus of people are telling the truth, then yeah, you've got to just kind of have faith that things will percolate through and sort themselves out. And the more people who do what you and I are doing, the more likely it is that happens faster. So it's a little stochastic reasoning there. Which talking about the bots, we saw in 2016 how dangerous and how easily manipulated we were because the bots in general convinced a large portion of the voters to feel like it was not an important thing for their voice to be heard or, you know, the, the lesser of two evils, so to speak. So this is a very important thing, I agree, to get in front of. How do you think is the most beneficial way? Is it with kindness, humor, being stern, what do you think resonates with people the most for them to be able to comprehend the information that you give them that's different than what they perceive? There's been a couple studies done and a psychiatrist or psychologist could probably answer that question better than I could. But um, one thing that we know works is humor, right? So I, I exaggerate the conspiracist um, into a tinfoil hat crazy And I'm kind of sad that I don't have the tinfoil hat in front of me today. <laughs> I need a new one. It's starting to fall apart, but it's, it's right here. <laughs> I actually had to Google how to make a tinfoil hat according oh, to the conspiracy <laughs> theorists. Um, it was not something that I knew. Um, but no, so the reason I do that is uh, when you caricaturize it, no, it's actually not disrespectful to people who have those beliefs. Um, the vast majority of people, of course, don't wear tinfoil hats. Um, they are just mistaken, right? And so when you can elevate the ridiculousness, that's one thing that helps uh, make the correct information click in their heads. And it's a visual cue, uh, the way I use it. Humor works. Um, just, yeah, I don't 
know that it's that great of a strategy to attack people and call them stupid, but attacking an idea and pointing out how silly it is or how ridiculous it is definitely works. Um, and so there is some good science behind that. But this is something that our culture is going to be grappling with for a really long time to come. And people much smarter than me are going to come up with way better ways to do it. Um, the, you know, the reality is that, you know, unfortunately, there is a security or a national security reason uh, or international relations reason why, that, why this is happening. Why in 2016 would Russia or China or Iran... Uh, and Turkey to an extent, why would they be doing this to us? Well, if you study, this this is going to get way off track from coronavirus, but there's a concept called hegemony. And right now, we're a unipolar world where the U.S. is basically in control of everything. Or the, the, they're the top dog, right? King of the hill. And there are other countries like China, India, Russia, to an extent, Brazil, um, who want Government's not the right way to call it, but uh, want a world with regional hegemony. Just by chance that you don't know what hegemony means, it refers to the leadership or dominance, especially by one country or social group over others. Where like, we share the sandbox a little better. And so the reason that they would do this to us is that it accelerates the fall of U.S. hegemony and makes regional hegemony more likely. Um, at the moment, there is nobody really vying to be like king of the hill by themselves. Uh, but you know, the longer this goes on, the more likely it is we get there one day. Um, and the longer that the United States is vying with trying to contain the coronavirus, it gives other countries more time to get ahead of us, right? So there is a huge security risk, and um, unfortunately, it is really in their interests to do this to us. And then, of course, we do it to ourselves too, right? They, like, the bots are only 17%, right? The, re the rest is, well, 33% conservative-oriented accounts or come up with the rest of this. So there's people tight, close with the president or people who support the president because there is always a political or a monetary reason behind why people do the things that they want to do on the international stage. So distracting from failures domestically is one of those reasons, right? And in a lot of ways, it's easier, and this is not new to Trump, by the way, um, forever, conservative politics has pointed the finger at other groups to say, oh, it's like, be afraid of this person or blame that person, rather than come up with useful policies and useful ways to stop something. Because it's short shortcutting politics maintains power, right? So that's usually the goal. Um, and in this case, it's no different. So how do you perceive, since we're talking about the political ploy and association with this misinformation, how do you perceive with the new president-elect that things will potentially change in the next few years to come? Well, so it's, it's going to stop a lot of things in its tracks, right? So there's, yeah, you can't, prevent what other countries are doing necessarily, at least not easily. But what you can do is make sure that the information coming out of your administration is good. You can make sure that um, you're appointing trustworthy individuals. I would point out Scott Atlas in charge of the CDC has been disowned by Stanford, Stanford where he yep. came from. Um, he is not an epidemiologist. Uh, He's a radiologist. Not... <laughs> I mean... Right. Right. I, he looks at CTs and MRIs all day and he has a great idea about opening up schools appropriately. Get out of here. Yeah, he is not the right man for the job. It's just that simple, right? So, and also like when you have the wheels of government populated with the correct people and rolling consistently, one thing that hasn't been done it, by the federal government is coming up with a national strategy just to contain this stuff. And that's one thing Biden was very vocal about. Um, we need a national strategy for testing so that states aren't competing with each other for the same resources. And PPE was a same challenge and vaccines could be the same challenge, just acquiring this. So, you know, this is why we have a federal government. So states don't compete against other states for scarce resources and, you know, bargaining power and all that stuff. So 
a lot of those problems do solve themselves after January 20th. But then you still have the misinformation being spread for politically motivated reasons. You're still going to have resistance um, from conservative factions that, in my opinion, is manufactured. But, you know, there's a legitimate small government, hands off my whatever perspective that Biden will have to contend with. And so, like, I don't know that it necessarily gets easier or harder. It's just different in the nature of what we have to contend with moving forward. So I will say, with talking about, again, the political aspect of all of this, a lot of nurses and physicians are frustrated, rightfully so, that many politicians who claimed that uh, this virus was not that bad or it was even kind of a hoax or we're just claiming all these deaths as COVID for hospitals to make more money, that they're getting the vaccine ahead of them. And I understand the fear and the frustration of the people who are on the front lines, but I also think it is a wonderful step that these people are showing that it is important to protect themselves in order to protect their neighbors, their family, their country, and be a patriot so that people live. Yeah. You know, so that's another challenge that my company has thought through. Um, for our clients is, you know, there are strategic industries or governments generally where you're going to need to vaccinate the people at the top first for whatever reason. Um, You know, if they're important to national defense or a strategic resource or something like that. And that can lead to the perspective of elites jumping in Mm -hmm. line um, over, you know, vulnerable populations. And that's a criticism they are going to have to contend with. So, you know, how like, how do you do that or how do you justify it? Well, you know, behavior modeling is a form of leadership, right? So if you think back to the very beginning of the pandemic, how much differently does it go if Trump tells his people to wear a mask, right? That's it. And wears one himself, right? Like with that one behavior, you cut out a lot of the opposition from his base of support. You know, so there is a lot to be said for the people in charge displaying um, or modeling the behavior that they want to see in their constituencies. So, you know, I actually don't like, yeah, it's frustrating that like people like Marco Rubio who discounted the vaccine or discounted coronavirus and other people like him getting their shots. But what I would point to is, look, they're getting their shots. That means they're taking it seriously. Right. right? So, yeah. And I, and, you know, they're also part, they're critical parts of U.S. government. And so, Yeah, that's what, you know, they're essential employees, basically. Right. And I mean, it is, I will say, it's a lot easier for me to say because I'm coming up on my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. So jealous. Oh, man. It was a... It was a great moment. I felt like Christmas came early for me. So it's easy for me to say that because even though every day I go to work and I'm terrified that I am taking care of these people who are deteriorating, I'm a rapid response nurse. And so I have to go to the COVID patients and help intubate them and ship them and all of this stuff. And I still go to work even post-vaccine and worry that I'm going to get this virus before my second dose and I could potentially die. I could bring it home to my husband and he could die or we could just get very sick from it. So it's a lot easier for me to say, good job. I'm glad you're standing up and being a great example because I've already received it. So I understand the the frustration from, like I said, the frontline workers and such. Yeah. Like, Ultimately, there's going to be no shortage of stories of, you know, like there's a Disney employee who was able to cut in line, you know, and the way that media works these days, like you're just going to see every time that that gets publicized because this media is going to focus on that and not on like, okay, we're vaccinating frontline workers like 99% of the time. Yeah. And it's, it's working. Um, Well, the vaccinations at the point of vaccine, the point of contact are working. Um, There's some distribution problems. Um, But yeah, so yeah, it's a frustration. And ultimately, that frustration is due to scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. Like not everybody can get it. And so there's going to be winners and losers. And once again, that falls squarely on the shoulders of the federal government to have 
well, to, in the fact that they didn't do mass education campaign. Um, it's coming. Companies like Pfizer, AstraZeneca, well, the Ad Council generally just approved like a $50 million ad spend to do PSAs and Moderna is going to need to do PSAs. But this is something like if you think back to the old like black and white propaganda films that the government would do where it's kind of like a how stuff works, like you're not seeing that or any modern form of that coming out of the federal government. And, you know, mass media and communications is really important because it's how you get the proper information in front of people, right? You can be cynical all day long about the motivations, but like if it's scientifically accurate, then they're easily testable pieces of information, right? I know. I say that all the time, even with my own family. But that is the one thing that I preach. I It's measurable. And things yeah. that are measurable are factual. They're evidence-based. And it's not hard to distinguish between the reality versus this fog that you're just given that people want you to walk into and hold their hand through. It's crazy to me. Yeah. I would point out too that most like actual conspiracies are uncovered with conventional cognition and also usually by investigative reporters that have specific training in how to uncover this stuff. But literally, I, I spent some time as a journalist um, in another life. And literally, it's a journalist looking at information presented to them saying, wait a second, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't add up. And then they start sniffing from there. It It's not grasping at straws or trying mm -hmm. to connect random dots um, or going down YouTube rabbit holes or like taking information from a meme at face value. That's not how they, that's not how this works. Even Watergate or the Iran-Contra affair was a journalist saying, wait a second, something doesn't add up here. Mm -hmm. Because you try to get in front of the conspiracies that are going to be coming out. One of the things that I am very aware of is that the conspiracies that are going to come between dose one and dose two of some of these vaccines. Is this anything that you guys have been kind of paying attention to that you anticipate that a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, they, they caught COVID from the vaccine because see this person came down with it between dose one or two or somebody dies and they didn't know they didn't know they had COVID prior to the first injection. To be honest, I've been bailing myself out of everything else right now, of all the other um, conspiracy theories. But yeah, understanding how the vaccines work, that it takes um, between two weeks and 90 days to actually build your immunity properly. Um, and then that you're 50% immune or so after dose one and 95% immune effectiveness uh, after dose two. This is scientific literacy, right? So on from one perspective, it's really frustrating that people don't understand it, but from another perspective, this is actually a really easy thing to educate on, right? And it comes down to the chorus of voices all saying the same thing to try to get that correct message out to the people who need to hear it. And the other one, though, as far as conspiracy theories that I've been most bracing for is I'm actually, I'm really nervous about Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. If, if you were to take all of the things that people might say regarding side effects of coronavirus vaccines and whatnot, Russia's Sputnik V really is the one that you should be worried about. It will never be approved by the FDA, by the way. Never, ever. So no American will ever get this injection. That's the one where I think if there's going to be video evidence of people getting sick or video evidence of bad reactions and side effects, it's probably going to come from Russia because that's who's been doing this all along, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the one I'm actually most nervous for is what comes down the line. And I'm actually heartened that Sputnik V and AstraZeneca have come up with a partnership. I think that makes that product stronger, not weaker, and makes it less likely for some of those potential horror stories to happen. But yeah, the, the Russia's vaccine, the Sinovac vaccine, um, that's the Chinese one, two vaccines that will never, ever, ever be given to a single American, at least in the United States. But those are the ones that I'm actually watching with some amount of you know, cautious optimism, but caution, right? So. I have not dug into all of that. So whenever we get finished, that's going to definitely be something that I do for probably for the rest of my day. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the ones that you have conquered. What is your favorite 
like that you think is the most ridiculous and you just find it hilarious that it's even a topic in our country? So my favorite conspiracy theory is probably that it's a plot for 5G to activate some kind of depopulation effect. The electromagnetic spectrum doesn't work that way. And also coronavirus, a biological organism, isn't affected by the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, So there's a lot of 5G conspiracies going around right now. And there's some evidence or some discussion that that might have been what led to the bombing in uh, Nashville. So that's my favorite conspiracy for a couple of reasons. One, because it's so easy to debunk. But two, because it's one of those that's going to be really violent. They were tearing down um, 5G cell towers in the UK. And honestly, if I could have, if this vaccine made me like a walking Wi-Fi port, like I would be really happy. And I'm kind of disappointed it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Well, if you figure out how to tap into the Bluetooth, uh, you know, (laughs) let me know. And if I figure it out before you, I'll let you know too. Yeah. So, and anything to do with Bill Gates, it's like this guy runs a charity just trying to use his wealth and power to make life better for poor people. Usually not in America, by the way. Right. I was about to say a lot of third world countries, he has supplied health and wellness and vaccines realistically to, but he, he's, he's so cool though, because even when he was interviewed in the past, why he was so knowledgeable on this. And he said, well, why would I not be? If I'm going to put this much money forward, I'm going to make sure that it's something that I believe in that does good for other people. Yeah. He's been an amateur epidemiologist for a really long time, right? So, and in fact, he's been warning exactly what it would happen, what would happen and what it would look like. And that's because he has the time Mm -hmm. um, to sit there and study. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is his special interest. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be something he was well-informed of? And you know, as a human, as somebody who believes that people with power and authority should use that power, authority, and influence for the betterment of society, that means he's doing the right thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know why they villainize him so much because I've always been taught that your best indicator of a person and their actions in the future is based on their past history. So his whole history, whenever it comes around medicine, has not taken out vast groups of people that he has controlled in these other countries. Yeah, yeah, those are good. And also the most potent one, though, uh, not quite what you asked, aside from the 5G thing, the most dangerous conspiracy theory, for whatever reason, happens to be that uh, the belief that it was made in a lab by China. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one, uh, there's... There's a huge correlation with vaccine hesitancy and people who believe that. Um, and uh, I, I guess when you learn that it's um, natural in origin, uh, zoonotic in origin, then you become more willing to take the vaccine like they would be related at all. But that one is also dangerous because it undermines our foreign policy and foreign relations with China, like one of those countries that wants regional hegemony, right? Mm-hmm. So. The more we poke them in the eye, the more likely they are to retaliate. Right. right? So when, when you have, well, really it's an entire political party, right? But um, when you have a huge demographic of people trying to spread things that poke them in the eye, and by the way, they're a culture that really values saving face, right? So like you, like me, like we don't like being embarrassed in public, right? They take that to the nth degree where mm-hmm. like you can get what you want without embarrassing them if you're really respectful about it and you elevate them. And this is a well-known technique that, that diplomats will use. And like, this is the key to getting what you want out of China is by making them look good. And, you know, that's kind of just how humans work generally. That particular conspiracy theory is insidious because it undermines everything diplomats have been trying to do with China. And yeah, the relationship there is really complicated, right? So shut up. <laughs> well, and... <laughs> And it doesn't help. So just what you're saying, it it doesn't help that our leader literally refers to this virus as the China virus, as Kung flu, as these things that that paints this terrible picture of China. And even a more simplistic reason or version of it for people who aren't so involved in the knowledge of politics, like it just kind of numbs their mind and they zone out. Okay, if you believe 
like on a very low level, if you believe that it was made in a lab in China, it's still real, it's still here, mm -hmm. and it's still something that needs to be conquered and taken care of. Like, why do you care so much where it's made versus caring about stopping it? That, that should be important for just the general population of people. Yeah. Well, once again, it's deflecting away the responsibility, right? So this is just one technique, actually really common in propaganda. And you saw that happen with the Spanish flu epidemic, which could actually more accurately be called the Kansas flu because it started on a chicken farm yep. after actually went from chickens to pigs to humans. And it's H1N1, which mm -hmm. was a recent pandemic we just experienced, right? So that the only doubt about it uh, as a society was because the king of Spain fell ill. During, the, during World War I, all of the U.S. media had, uh, was afraid of printing stuff critical of America that included stuff about this new influenza virus at the time, right? So the way that most Americans learned that the pandemic of 1918 and 1919 was happening was after the King of Spain fell sick, hence Spanish flu, and that's where that all came from. Uh, there was also, by the way, a conspiracy theory back then that it came from Germany and that the German soldiers had been trying to spread this thing to Americans when actually it was Americans who then went off to fight in Europe and spread it you know, overseas. So anyway, that's not the coronavirus pandemic, but that is something that we can point to to understand how misinformation works, how, uh, like how epidemiology works. And by the way, a lot of the techniques we're using today, masks work, lockdowns work, quarantines work, uh, they were developed in 1918 and 1919. And mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, it's sad that that's all we have, but you know, you got to do what you, you got to stick with what you know works. And if it was that simple, and I know it wasn't, there was a second wave after all that stuff that happened um, mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Was it in Pennsylvania where they had the big parade? Yeah, in Philadelphia. Yeah, they, they had the second wave and everything, but we found that for respiratory illnesses that was taking over our country and killing a mass amount of people, there was a very simple way to stop it. And I, I just don't know why <laughs> we refuse as a country now to accept that. And we would rather risk our death, risk the death of others, our family, our friends for something yeah. that we know is true and effective. Yeah, it, wasn't, it also wasn't um, politicized back then either. So people were willing, like I said, information coming from the top down. Mm -hmm. There was actually no federal or state strategy to mitigate um, the 1918 pandemic. And that's why we developed a health department, national health department, a CDC, because of that. And we learned that you need a federal strategy. You can't just let the states and cities decide for themselves. But you can see, like we actually have the ability to go and see where cities instituted quarantines, lockdowns, and mask orders, or in closed churches for a little while, closed movie theaters and soda stands for a little while, they actually fared a lot better than the cities like Philadelphia that just completely disregarded public health experts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, they had to learn via trial and error, but that's why we shouldn't have to. Right. But they also didn't have to contend, like I said, with Facebook groups and armchair experts spreading misinformation on social media. You know, in a lot of ways, we need to update our strategies, but that all comes down to public relations and communication. Okay. So I'm going to put the spotlight on you in a different way. Was there anything that you thought during all of this that you found and you believed would be factual until you really investigated and dug deep, and then you found out, mm, actually, that's turning into more of a conspiracy theory. Something that seemed true right off the bat to you. Yeah, let's see. So I don't think that there was anything that necessarily fooled me, but I, too, had the vaccine hesitancy at the very beginning about it being developed really quick, and Trump saying he had something to do with it, to me, made me not want to trust it. But I happen to have had access to the resources to correct my thinking. It's important to point out that um, the H1N1 swine flu pandemic had a vaccine in seven months and people were taking it without any questions. It's important to, re to remember that Trump actually had absolutely nothing to do with the development of any of these vaccines. Operation Warp Speed. I, it's all, I feel it's like all is it a 12-year-old coming up with these terms and phrases to describe the things going on in our country. 
It is. Yeah. And warp speed is just the distribution effort, by the way. And they, they did not ramp up manufacturing yet. That's why um, Biden had to say that he was going to use the Defense Production mm -hmm. Act to ramp up manufacturing. And so in a lot of ways, the warp speed was just trying to get these out to the states quickly. That's all it was. Yeah, they didn't I was, do that. <laughs> I was definitely hesitant about it as well. But then, like you and I have been talking about this entire time, I really started digging through the clinical trials. I made a podcast on it about a month or two ago where we talked about all the side effects and versus the placebo. And for Pfizer, there was more adverse reactions in the placebo group than in the vaccine, the core group. I just decided, I just don't want to kill anyone. You know, it's worth the risk to roll the dice and the evidence has shown so far that it hasn't been an issue. And as a rapid response nurse, while we're in the hospital, we actually have to run to rapids if anyone has an adverse reaction to the vaccine. And there's only been about three that I've known of. One person felt flushed. One person had a fast heart rate that lasted maybe a minute or two, and then they were much better. And then one person felt nauseated for a couple minutes and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding how they how the vaccines work also help with vaccine hesitancy right so the the biggest fear or academic fear in a new vaccine is um, that it provokes too strong of an immune response right so when they test it on a population group of 20 plus thousand individuals you're going to find almost everything that there is to find. Mm -hmm. The allergies actually wasn't a surprise. The fact that people are have allergic reactions to vaccines or other medication is a well-known phenomenon, and you absolutely have to worry about it. And food, um, <laughs> right? And food. So, and actually, it's the lipid molecules. Now they've they think that they've targeted or identified what was causing the um, well, what is causing the allergic reactions, and it's the lipid molecules that encase the mRNA. So yeah, like they have to make, they have to adjust as they go based off how mm -hmm. quickly we need to be able to deploy this. But the reality is the average human being doesn't need to worry about it. At the moment, vaccines are being given in locations that have resuscitation devices on hand. So even if you do have an allergic reaction unexpectedly, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And they typically make you wait so the facility that I received it at was my home hospital, but they gave us the vaccine, but then we had to go and wait for 15 minutes and they would not let you leave the room until they, they literally physically came to you and said, okay, your time's up. You may leave. How are you feeling? Um, so in case you had any adverse reaction, it would happen during that time period. And like you said, there was staff, there's medication, there's all of these things to combat the side effect if there were adverse reactions. Yeah, and that's actually not unique to the COVID vaccines, right? So most people just know that they're waiting in a doctor's office or a waiting room for like 10 minutes or so for the doctor to come back and check them out. They're, they're technically under observation, right? So mm -hmm. like the doctors are deliberately waiting to come back to you so they can find out if you're going to react to this new sh or this shot you just got or not. And so this is something that happens with every vaccine. Yep. Out of an abundance of caution, they're extending the period for which they're monitoring and that's fine. And also that's going to disappear. And then eventually as we have more data or not disappear, but reduce as we have more data. Um, also, I would point out that this has undergone far more rigorous safety and efficacy trials than the medicine most people put into their bodies, right? So anything you can get at a CVS pharmacy over the counter, there's not been not been studied all that greatly. Like if if you're taking vitamins or pills of any type, no research whatsoever. Into right. That. It's not even approved by the FDA. It hasn't gone through all of that. So it's a dangerous thing that people can potentially take. I agree with you completely, which it doesn't matter if I did because again, evidence-based. <laughs> but... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and that's another thing. There's a, somebody had a wonderful TikTok about like, oh, I don't like, I know you don't actually care what you put into your bodies because you just eat American cheese every day or whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> like the stuff in your food on like on the whole is going to have way more health concerns for you than well, anything in this four ingredient vaccine. And especially with Pfizer, there's a lot of, like you were talking about with processed cheese, 
there's more ingredients in that than in the Pfizer vaccine. Right. Wait, anything. <laughs> yeah. One more question. What is the funniest response or reply that you've gotten from one of your videos? Oh man. I'm my sure there's so many. Yeah, my memory is not necessarily good enough to to recall something word for word, but every once in a while I'll get somebody with a non sequitur or a uh, or whatever and then the best response I ever got was somebody saying they were upset the vaccine wouldn't make them a walking cell tower. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, like and like oh like and provide Wi-Fi cuz I'm I'm with that person. Like if there were a vac- like people are going to pay Elon Musk to Neuralink them one day, right? So like, and become a walking cell tower mm-hmm. or walking computer. I don't know that I'd go that far, but if there were a vaccine that- Benefits could, plus not having to pay for a data plan anymore. Yeah, like <laughs> sign me up. Me too. <laughs> Tell people where and how they can find you because I love watching your videos. I laugh so much and I send them to a lot of my friends. So- <laughs> Tell everybody else how they can do the same. Well, thank you so much for boosting me in the algorithm. I'm at, at Resolute Strat on TikTok and Twitter. And that's my firm too. You can find out more information about Resolute Strategies Group online at resolutestrategy.com. We don't have a Facebook because we don't like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's where we are. And it has a great blog too with a lot of information as well. Yes, I appreciate you saying that. Um, We try to put more information than you could possibly need on that thing. Yeah, well, I enjoyed reading all through it. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for getting on here and talking and helping to educate the public too on the craziness that is our world today. One, thank you too, Jamie. And I uh, I appreciate you inviting me on to your podcast. And I really appreciate you for doing this podcast on top of saving lives every day. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of First Do No Harm. If you've made it this far, I appreciate you listening. I hope that you leave this week's podcast episode with ways that you can navigate through the infodemic that is COVID-19. If you have any questions, I am always available for you to reach out. You can hit me up on my Facebook page, First Do No Harm Podcast. You can hit me up on Instagram, first.donoharmpodcast. You can also hit me up on Twitter, any type of way that you want to get in touch with me to ask me questions. And if I don't know the answer, I will direct you in a path, in a way, and for people who will be able to help you out. Until the next episode, I hope you stay safe. And please remember to stay kind to yourself and to everyone else. Because really, we are all in this together.